chapter as we prepare uh, today for our time around the Lord's table. And so as we come to uh, our scripture for this morning, um, I want to make sure that all of us this morning have this thought about the Lord's Supper, that it's a very special time when believers come together. It's a very special time. It's a time that we can celebrate. You know, uh, we celebrate when people are baptized. Why? Knowing that they belong to Christ, right? We, we have a baptistry that we use, and when somebody wants to be baptized, they want to proclaim, right, to all of us that they belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, you know, when we take communion together, those of us that are believers in Christ, that's what we're doing. We're testifying to the people that are sitting next to us, hey, I belong to Christ. I always like to ask the question, do you know? Do you know that you know Christ as your Savior? It's a time of celebration, right? I mean, we should be smiles on the faces, man. It's a time to celebrate because Christ did something for us that no one else could do. His atonement was like no other. I want to give you three initial thoughts about the Lord's Supper uh, this morning. Uh, and then I want to just share a few thoughts with you from the scriptures here in 1 Corinthians 11. Um, first of all, the Lord's Supper is a time to remember all that the Lord has done for us. All that he's done for us. You know, when someone shares their testimony, um, I think a lot of times that testimony is, is focused on when a person got saved. Right? There's a historical part to it. But you know, there's an aspect of salvation that we're continually, right? Christ is continuing to save us. So, so, so we have a testimony of not only salvation in the past when we came to know Christ, but we have salvation today. Right? And, and we proclaim that. So when one says, well, um, my testimony, I got saved when? It's beyond that. It's beyond just, this is what the Lord did for me. And for me, I was saved at seven. Well, I remember that time. But I also know this, that without coming to know Christ, I could not be delivered, right, from the power of sin. It's the truth. And do you know, guys, if you're a believer in Christ, one day we're gonna be delivered from the presence of sin. <laughs> Praise the Lord for that, Right? Man, so it's a time to remember. Um, I read a story uh, not too long ago. This is an awful story. Uh, but this guy was filling up his gas tank. He was in Montgomery, and he and his wife were going on a trip. And, and so he fills the gas tank up. He gets back in his car, and he's driving, and he's driving, and he's driving. And it hits him. He forgot his wife. Actually filled up his gas tank in Montgomery, so it made me think about, well, I wonder if this guy was from Alabama. <laughs> uh, but he filled his gas tank up in Montgomery, and it literally took him almost five hours before he remembered that he had forgotten his dear wife, who he called and said, wow, they didn't, in the illustration, it didn't say what he said, but I'm thinking, wow, how would you, what would you say? He was in big trouble. Um, we have a tendency to forget, right? And so it's important that this time be a time of remembrance for all that the Lord has done for us. And secondly, 
Second thought is it's a time to worship. It's a time to worship. We worship the Lord Jesus Christ. We worship him and him alone. And he is the only one worthy of worship. Only one. You know, there, there are, uh, in our culture, a lot of people that worship people. <laughs> and a lot of people that worship things, but there's only one worthy of worship and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's also a time to give thanks for the forgiveness of sins. Only available in Jesus Christ. Only available in Jesus Christ. Um, thirdly, it is a time for the body of Christ to come together to celebrate what Jesus accomplished. You say, well, what did he accomplish? Good question. Well, you know, under the old covenant... The sacrifices were what? They were repeated over and over and over and over again by the blood of animals being offered. But the author of Hebrews tells us that Jesus Christ offered himself what? Once for all. Once for all. So the new covenant has been ratified once for all by the death of Christ. <laughs> That's a lot to celebrate. I want to break this down for you, and I've given just a few thoughts this morning before, uh, before we have the Lord's Supper. I want us to look at verses 23 through 26 first. And in, in this section, there are three points that I wanted to highlight. Um, the betrayal, I mean, like the betrayal, giving thanks and remembering. If you were going to teach this section, you could... I mean, there's a lot of things in here, you know, and there's no way in a Sunday morning during this time I can give you all of it. But these are the th three areas as I read these verses that, that just stuck out to me. So let's read it. The first thing is the betrayal. The second thing is giving thanks. And then the third thing is remembering. Paul writes this, For I received, verse 23 of chapter 11, from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread you ever pause to consider that whole idea of Jesus being betrayed well I did and I thought about the Lord Jesus and those disciples and the one disciple that betrayed him whose name was Judas Judas and the Bible tells us he betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. In Hebrew culture, that was not a lot of money at all. Many times it was the price of a slave. <laughs> Just not much money. But how many disciples did Jesus call out? How many? Twelve. And one sold him out and his name was Judas the Bible doesn't tell us everything that went on in that room but I just wonder what the thoughts all the thoughts of the other men were that night about Judas so in that upper room there was one who betrayed him, whose name was Judas. It's interesting to me that 
that Paul includes that in his language here. He says, in the night which he was betrayed, which he was sold for 30 pieces of silver. Look at this next phrase. He took bread, and when he had given thanks. All right, so the Bible records for us that he took bread, and I'll just use this as a visible illustration uh, for us to consider. All right, so he took this bread. I won't handle all of it since you guys are going to handle some of this. But he took the bread. The Bible tells us in the upper room that he, he, he gave thanks. And that's phenomenal in and of itself. But he took the bread and he broke it. Right? He took the bread and he broke it. He broke it in half. And the Bible says, right, the Bible tells us that he broke that bread. And the bread is what? A visual, visual of what? His body. And so as I, was, as I was thinking about this this past week, I was like, his body was shredded. You ever thought about that? His body was shredded. I don't know what people think about when they think about the crucifixion of Christ, but I think a lot of people think, well, he hung on a cross. That's true. But there was a lot to that. And I'm thinking, the Bible records that Jesus gave thanks, knowing what that road would include. You remember what it included? He was scourged, right? You know what scourging involved? It was a whip and it had metal, pieces of glass, and they would take that and they would uh, drive it across the back and pull out the flesh and drive it across the legs and pull out the flesh. You have to think, man, Lord, I'm not worth that. But you did that for me. None of us were worthy of his love. But the Bible says he demonstrated his love toward us. Right? And he did. So he was scourged. You remember the crown of thorns that were thrust into his head? The nails that were put into his hands and his feet? And the sword that was thrust into his side? That's what we remember right so you have the betrayal you have giving thanks but we remember we remember his body that was shredded we remember his blood that was shed bible tells us without the shedding of blood the author of hebrews says without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness none isn't it peter that calls it precious blood precious blood of Christ. I want you to take your Bibles and flip over with me to Hebrews chapter 9. I want to show you this. Hebrews 9 verses 24 through 28. Hebrews 9, 24 through 28. The author of Hebrews says, For Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands a mere copy of the true one, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor was it that he should offer himself often. Look at this. As the high priest enters the holy place year by year with blood not his own. Otherwise, he would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world. Notice this, but now once at the consummation he has been manifested to do what with sin? 
What is it, what's that phrase? To put away sin. To put away sin by the sacrifice of who? Of himself. Was he guilty? No. <laughs> you know, I don't know about you guys, but I was, I was, I mean, you haven't had as long to think about it, but one of the things that, that really gets a hold of me every time I think about what the Lord did is that he didn't deserve it. People say, well, how do you define the love of Christ? That's a pretty good definition, wouldn't you say? He gave himself up for us. Verse 27 says, and as inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once and after comes this judgment, so Christ also having been offered once to bear the sins of many, and I love this, shall appear a second time. The very same thing we were talking about, started talking about last week in, in Second Peter. Peter saw, shall appear a second time not to bear sin to those who eagerly await him for what? There it is, there's that word for what? Salvation. Salvation's in the future as well. It's past, it's today, and it's in the future. So when I look at these verses, I, I, I see the betrayal. The Lord was betrayed, but he gave thanks in the midst of all that, as, as that road came up, he was giving thanks. And then Paul encourages us to remember his body and his blood. Um, the second set of verses in 1 Corinthians deal with examination, honesty, and discipline. Now, I would say you're probably going to be more excited about the 23 through 26. <laughs> Because this is pretty hard stuff here in the context of the passage. Um, there was a love feast that was going on, right? The agape feast was a love feast. And it was a time of sharing, right? The body came to share with one another. Well, that wasn't going on in the Corinthian church. They weren't sharing. Those who had weren't sharing with those who didn't have. There was really this abuse going on at the agape feast. They were not representing Christ, like they should have been in terms of sharing. And so the Apostle Paul uses this time to not only talk about what the Lord did and the importance of remembering that, but he talks about the importance of, of examining ourselves. Notice now verse 27. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Well, how does one do so in an unworthy manner? How does that happen, right? In an unworthy manner. Well, I think in the context, the Corinthian church was participating in an unworthy manner. Why? There was sin. <laughs> they weren't sharing Notice if you go back up into the uh, middle of, of the chapter, Paul, in a pretty scathing uh, context, notice what he says, verse 17, but in giving uh, this instruction, I do not praise you because you come together not for the better but for the worse. And verse 18 is in 19, wow. He says, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, Right, the, As a body of believers, I hear that divisions exist among you. What do you call that? 
Sin. That's what you call it. It's sin. There were divisions among, the, among them. There wasn't a unity. And the, one of the primary themes in the New Testament is unity in the body of Christ. He says, I hear that divisions exist among you, and in part I believe it. For there also must be factions among you in order that those who approve may have become evident among you. Notice what he says. Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first and one is hungry and another is drunk. What, he says, do you not have houses in which to eat and drink or you do not despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? And then what does he say? In this I will not what? I will not praise you. So not only was there a selfishness going on, but there was drunkenness and an agape feast. And so the importance of examination comes to the forefront. And the Apostle Paul says in verse 28, but let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. There are a couple things that are very important here. First of all, the definition of examine. The word examine means to make a critical, critical or to take a critical look at something, right? To determine the authenticity of something. The word was often used to examine or test the genuineness of metal, right? And so, as we come to the table this morning, um, as one theologian put it, we need to examine ourselves to see, first of all, do we belong to the Lord? (laughs) Do we know him? Because this is a time for believers. Um, Secondly, not only do we need to examine our own relationship with the Lord, but we need to examine our lives to see if there's unconfessed sin in our lives. Certainly, one would say, as you read 1 Corinthians 11, there was sin in the Corinthian church abounding. I've got good news for you, believer, about sin and confessed sin. What does the Bible tell us? If we confess our sins, he's what? He's faithful and he's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know that word confess there means to agree. I can only share my, the example of my own life. I don't, I don't want to talk about anybody else's life, but, but I know one of the things that, that I've really started practicing several years ago was, was, and I don't do it all the time, but I think it's, I think it's a good thing to practice is that when I sin... Um, and I don't know if you're like me, but the older I get, it's not that I don't know what sin is. <laughs> Any of you identify with that? I mean, I know when I'm sinning. I know when I'm being selfish. I know when I'm being self-centered. I know when sin is going on in my life. And I had, I just yesterday I had a conversation with the Lord and I said, Lord, this is what's going on, and, and I confess it. Guys, his forgiveness, you know, when I confess it, it's complete. It's complete. And so we're just acknowledging to the Lord the things that are going on in our lives. And listen, if you, there's no one in here in this room that's perfect. All of us who are in Christ, we sin. We sin. So, the Apostle Paul says, let a man examine himself first. 
And so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And so that examination, that personal examination is critical. Notice he uses the word there, himself. Examine himself. So the examination is about that. I need to examine myself. You need to examine yourself. Oh, it's easy. It's easy to examine someone next to you, right? That's not what the Bible says. It doesn't say examine the person next to you. It says examine yourself. And so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And there's another phrase that um, kind of, a couple of words that kind of struck me as I was going through here, and it's the word rightly. Um, notice verse 29, for he eats and, eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly or honestly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. But if we judged ourselves rightly, so there that is, rightly again, that word honestly, we should not be judged. So it's important that we judge ourselves rightly. It's important to be honest. I'd say our culture is not too big on that term, honesty. But the Lord's really big on that term, honest. In fact, you know, um, one of the characteristics of a believer, of one that comes to know Christ, has to do with this lying issue. Um, I just want to read this. You don't need to turn there, but you can write it down, Ephesians 4 verse 25 just before that in verse 24 he says and put on the new self which is in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness now listen to this has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth therefore laying aside falsehood speak truth each one of you with his neighbor for we are members of one another (laughs) honesty There needs to be honesty before the Lord. There needs to be an honesty with one another. Um, So Paul makes mention of the importance of judging ourselves rightly. Um, And listen, if we're not being honest, the person next to us may not know, but uh, guess who does know? We read about it in Psalm 139. The Lord knows. He knows me full well. There's nothing that's hidden from him. Um, on the one hand, we love that because it tells us the Lord's omniscient. <laughs> on the other hand, we look at it and go, well, I can't get away with anything, right? I may be able to get away with it because the person next to me or my neighbors or my family, they don't see it, but the Lord sees it. Well, how important it is it to judge rightly? Well, discipline is the third word that I noticed here in this section. Um, notice verse 32. But when we are judged, so in verse 31, he says, if we judge ourselves rightly, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord in order that we may not be condemned along with the world. Well, so the Bible tells us the world is condemned. Romans tells us there is therefore now what? No condemnation to those who are what? In Christ. Praise the Lord. That's covered. I love that. But that doesn't mean believers are not judged. I mean, if you go back to the early church, there was pretty good judgment, as I remember. Um, You remember the story there with Ananias and Sapphira and the piece of property they held back, right, for themselves. and, And that judgment was pretty severe, right? 
People talk about, well, we church shouldn't discipline. The Bible doesn't talk about it. The Bible talks about church discipline. That's pretty, pretty uh, harsh, wouldn't you say? Uh, well, the Lord's the one that does the judging. Okay, he's the one. That's very important to, to know that. Because look at verse 32. He says, we are disciplined by the Lord, which puts a premium on judging ourselves rightly because discipline from the Lord can happen to the body of Christ and does happen. Um, You say, well, what happens? Well, I'm glad you asked. Back up to verse 30, right? If you don't judge yourself correctly, if the discipline of the Lord comes upon you, Notice what Paul says in the context of the Corinthian church. For this, many, for this reason, many among you, because they didn't judge the body rightly, are weak and sick. And a number sleep. So if you're reading that, you go, oh, some of them were sleeping. That word sleep means death. Some are dead. I read an article this past week on the importance of I was sharing with a member before church today on the importance of this time and the importance of examination and that no communion service should be without that. As wonderful as this is, no communion service should be without examination of ourselves. Do I have to say to you that that's very difficult? That whole piece of honesty. Because I don't know about you guys, the older I get in my Christian life, man, the sin is glaring. It's like on a billboard. And it seems like, at least for me, that it's over and over and over again. And a lot of times in the same area or areas. Maybe I'm just a weird guy. I don't know. But that's what happens in my life. And I remember many a times walking, I love to exercise, so walking or running and, and just saying, Lord, I don't know, I, I, you're past finding out, but can I just thank you, thank you for forgiveness? And I, I don't know how you put up with me, it's called your mercy, and I, I'm trying to wrap my head around that. Guys, we serve an amazing God. And so when we come to a time like this, yes, it is a time for celebration. But it is first a time of examination. Hey, be honest with the one that made you and saved you. That's all I can tell you. Because you know what? He's faithful to forgive. There's a story that I ran across. I thought it was pretty incredible. In World War I... Um, in a British section known as the Western Front, just a few miles uh, from the front lines, there was a hut. And the name of the hut was the Talbot House. And it was a meeting place for men uh, who were going up to the trenches, trenches and men that were coming back from the trenches. So this Talbot House was kind of a respite for those guys whether they were going to the trenches or coming back from the trenches. And you do know that some of them that went 
to the trenches, never came back. But that Talbot house was there. It was a meeting place for those men. And it had an upper room in this Talbot house. You know what went on in that upper room? This, the Lord's Supper. And above the upper room, there was this sign that read this. Abandon rank, ye who enter. In other words, when we walk into this room, we're all the same. No matter the rank, we're all sinners. Because the Bible declares that we are. I went on to read an article that the message to the men was consistent. And this was the message. The message was all of you are sinners. All of us are sinners. It doesn't matter what your rank. And they would always end this way. The only one that can forgive you of your sin is Jesus Christ the Lord. Guys, I want to tell you something. When we see a cross around someone's neck, or we see a cross in the baptistry, right? Wherever that is, it's not just a symbol, but it's a symbol of what Jesus Christ was willing to do. It's a symbol what of punishment. It's that symbol. But, and it's a symbol of crucifixion, but it's also a symbol of what? It's a symbol of love. But he loved me so much. He loved Thad Blunt so much. <laughs> I still can't, I can't get beyond this. He loved me so much that he was willing to die for me. He was willing to shed his blood in order that I might have life through him by faith in him. So my encouragement to you, before we partake today of the Lord's Supper, is if you don't know Christ, I would encourage you that today could be that day of salvation. I pray the Spirit of God convicts you of your sin and your need to trust Christ as Savior. And for those of us who are saved, it's a time of celebration, but it's also a time of examination. And as we're singing in the next few minutes, as we have time of prayer, let's examine ourselves. Right? And let's make sure that we're right before our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. And Father, this morning we want to thank you for our time together where we can celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because while the elements themselves represent the body of Christ that was broken and the blood of Christ that was shed... As we continue to read, we know in the Gospels, we not only know that Jesus Christ died for our sins, but he was buried, and he was buried because he died. And the Bible says he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And the Bible also tells us that one day the Lord is coming for those of us who belong to him. And I pray that today... If there's one here that does not know you, that today could be the day of salvation. I pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.